0: This season of Desert Island Dishes is sponsored by Cook's Matches. Cook's Matches have been the mainstay of British kitchens for over 40 years and remain the match for both cooks and chefs to use in the kitchen. I just find there to be something so wonderfully comforting about those iconic yellow boxes. Perhaps it's because I grew up with them always being in my parents' kitchen, or perhaps it's because they were always there in the background of every birthday cake being lit. (laughs) No kitchen should be complete without a trusty box of these matches. They are just the easiest and most eco-friendly way to light everything from stoves and barbecues to candles. You may think that all matches are created equal, but surely we've all gone through a box of matches where they all break before you can even get one to strike. And that simply doesn't happen with Cook's Matches. And that's why they've been the go-to kitchen match for so long. As an added bonus, each box now features a recipe from the one and only Tom Kerridge. To find out more, head to the website www.cooksmatches.co.uk and you can find them on social media with the handle at Cooksmatches. Thank you very much to Cooks Matches. Hi, I'm Margie Namora, and welcome to the Desert Island Dishes podcast. This is the podcast where every week I ask my guests to choose their seven desert island dishes. These range from finding out about the dish that most reminds them of their childhood, the best dish they've ever eaten, and of course, the last dish they would choose to eat before being cast off to the desert island. How are you all? I hope you're having a lovely week. It's feeling distinctly autumnal, which I can't pretend to be sad about. I know we didn't really have a summer, but I love autumn. Cozy fires, crunchy leaves, the promise of an apple crumble. Anyway, I digress. (laughs) So happy to be back with you each week. Thank you for your lovely comments on last week's episode with Michelle Rue. This episode is with the wonderful Rachel. We had to record this remotely and I think I pressed the wrong button somewhere, which is so typical and means the recording isn't quite as good as I like it to be. But after um umming and ah ahhing, I thought maybe you'll forgive me. And I hope Rachel and her brilliant laugh make up for some of my technical issues. And hopefully going forwards, I will know which button to press. We can, but hope anyway. (laughs) So I hope you're sitting comfortably, preferably with a biscuit, but I know lots of you will be cooking, cleaning, walking the dog or on your way to work. So wherever you are and whatever you're doing, enjoy today's episode. My guest today is Rachel Ammer. Rachel is the rising star of the London vegan scene. Her passion for vibrant, colourful food has seen her amass an army of followers online after she went vegan seven years ago. She started her YouTube channel to show just how easy and delicious it was to cook vegan food. And since then, she's gone from strength to strength. She won the Observer Food Monthly Rising Star Award in 2019, has presented the food program on Radio 4, and has just released her second cookbook. She grew up in North London with her mum, but her recipes are also heavily influenced by her Caribbean and African roots. She has a clever knack for putting a vegan spin on the classic dishes with a real emphasis on flavor. She has been described as vegan goals. She inspires, she cooks, she dances, and most of all, she's passionate about vegan life. Welcome, Rachel. Hello.
1: And thank you for having me. That was such
0: a lovely intro. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm so glad to get you on Desert Island Dishes. In the introduction just now, I described you as a rising star. But from everything I can see, you've arrived. Presumably oh. now <laughs> you're just a star. That is so sweet. <laughs> does it Does um. it feel like that to you? Are you sort of the kind of person that can look back and, and see how far you've come? Or are you always looking forward to the next challenge?
1: I think I'm trying to balance both. Because I think it's good sometimes to look back at your younger self and be like, "Hey, sis, look what you did! Yeah, <laughs> you had no idea that you was gonna be where you are today, so there's it's nice to take a moment to acknowledge that, but I am always also thinking, "But I want to complete this and I want to do this, and I want to do that, and I gotta do this." finding balance.
0: So you've just brought out your second cookbook which is really exciting and I'm really looking forward to talking about that a little bit later. But first off I wondered how do you think you would get on on the desert island? Is the idea of being sent to a desert island one that excites you or would you be scrambling to get off?
1: I think I would be very excited right now because I'm (laughs) desperate for some sunshine. So the (laughs) idea of being on an island away from the internet and away from normal life is really appealing to me right now.
0: Yeah, (laughs) that's actually quite a pertinent question at this time, isn't it? When no one's been allowed to go away is sort of, yes, send me to the desert island. But are (laughs) Are you quite a practical person? Like, do you see yourself sort of whittling a boat out of a bamboo tree or, you know, what, how would you approach it?
1: I think I'm quite um, a go with a flow relaxed kind of person, so it would really depend on how I felt that day. If I felt like a bit more of an adventure, it'd be like, yeah, let's do it. Let's create something really cool. But if I kind of felt like just chilling for a moment, it'd be like, we can do that in a couple hours. But right now, I just want to be here right now, and then I can figure it out later. I get told that when I'm under pressure, you would look at me and think... Is she thinking about things? Has she got this? And really inside, I'm just like in my own little world of figuring things out. But I look super cool on the outside, apparently. Well, that's
0: a good talent to have. You're you're like a swan. That's what they say, isn't it? Very calm on the surface, (laughs) but underneath you're sort of fiercely paddling.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about the first desert island dish. And that is the dish that most reminds you of your childhood.
1: Here's the thing. There's there's two ways of having this, right? There's the really unimpressive way because I grew up not that interested in food. So I just like rice and butter and salt. That's a good and, thing. I was <laughs> <laughs> being completely honest, that is a dish that reminds me of my childhood. But then you have the kind of dish that I make today that makes me feel like a big childhood warm hug, and that is my curry jackfruit in my new book. It's Mm. like growing up and having Caribbean family, I always had curry goat, curry mutton, and that was such a normal thing to have. And now I've made it in a vegan way. When I just smell that in the kitchen, when I smell the scotch bonnets, when I smell the plantain frying, rice and peas that is like a happy, warm hug that makes me feel like home. And I always feel like, so my grandma sent Lucian and I never cooked with her because I got into cooking when I was older. And that is a meal that makes me feel connected to her and it feels extra special. That's so nice.
0: Isn't it just incredible how strongly food and memory are connected that you can cook a dish or eat a dish And you're sort of instantly transported back in time. I just, I will never not be amazed by that.
1: I absolutely love it. And I think food for me is one of life's biggest gifts. To be able to sit down and enjoy a plate of food and have memories and nostalgia and the feeling and the senses. It is so, so, so beautiful.
0: Yeah, completely agree. So I actually, I didn't know what you were going to answer for that first question, because I'd read somewhere that you have a very strong memory of taramasalata is the bread, <laughs> <laughs> which might be surprising given everything that's happened since. But um that was something I think you, you used to enjoy with one of your grandmothers, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, my my Welsh grandma, she used to always just give me taramasalata and pita bread. It's quite an unusual thing for a child to like absolutely love but it's so unusual <laughs> so like when I repeat it back I'm like what like that is so weird it's very bougie um, it's, it's so bougie That's what I'm like. <laughs> Rachel who ate rice and butter and then Thomas Lutter and Peter Prince, like, who are you? <laughs> it's good to have a mixture it's good
0: <laughs> <laughs> so as you say you you didn't grow up dreaming of becoming a chef or, or really even a career in food. I think you describe yourself as a tomboy who was obsessed with football. And is it right that you even started training with the women's Arsenal football team?
1: Yeah, so I was just this kind of headstrong, go-getter, athletic, just want to go and play and get my knees dirty, climb trees, try and be better than the boys at football. And there was such a confidence in me in that. And I did start training with Arsenal girls. That's I amazing. Being a footballer. And it didn't quite happen that way. But that was definitely where I thought I was when I was younger. And
0: music also seems to have played a really important part in your life. I know growing up and, and now too with your recipes, music's such a big part of your cooking. And your books have this lovely way of including playlists to go alongside the recipes. You went to performing art school. What did you think at that point you wanted to do? I I heard a rumour that there was a dream of being in a Missy Elliott music video. Wow, yeah, you know
1: me. (laughs) You know me. Yeah, so along with the football, I also did dance. So after puberty, I kind of felt really insecure about football because, you know, you're a girl and you start growing boobs and... You're more identified as a female and it, it just was a bit of a weird place that I found myself in. But I continued with dance and I'd watched Missy Ellick videos and I just I was obsessed with the routines in it. The videos, the way they were shot, they were just incredible to me. And music's always been such a prominent thing in my family that we were the house on the street that I had music late like we we probably were those annoying neighbors and I'm really sorry but it was really (laughs) special to me and my brother used to make music and it was just so key that music was always playing that I got into dance I was in the dance troupe and that was like my dream to continue that and that didn't quite happen but I managed to kind of keep the kind of Force behind my love of music into what I do today and how I cook and everything. It's like all the senses together.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I guess life is all about gathering as many different experiences as possible. And then they all come together in quite often an unexpected way. And it seems like your background in performing arts has sort of stood you in really good stead for presenting and, and doing your YouTube videos.
1: It would seem that way, but I, um, I, I have to think it has helped. But equally so, when I started my YouTube channel and I put myself behind a camera, that the acting side and the performing side, I was not that good at. I liked to dance, but in front of people, I was still a little bit like, and I remember when I put myself behind the camera, it was kind of like, okay, Rach, so just be you and um, see where it goes. It's so interesting isn't
0: it because you just you never know what's going on in in someone's head or behind the scenes because I was watching back at some of your first YouTube videos and you just seemed like such a natural like no one would ever know that you had any any doubt in your mind.
1: Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> I am um, yeah I think when I look at my past and my history like the core of Rachel was always this kind of confident athletic person woman but a lot things happen in your life that can kind of take a lot of your confidence and make you quite insecure in different ways. So it, it is interesting that if I reflect on myself that when I went in front of the camera, I felt like I was able to be the confident young girl that I used to be before life kind of tore some of that away. And I've definitely in my career and what I do kind of felt my way back to that kind of core Rachel which is really quite special
0: it's really special and and I think that's so true isn't it I think like we're born with this amazing confidence and you see really young children who just yeah they're just full of confidence and no self-doubt and then I think the sort of teenage years yeah (laughs) they can slowly wear (laughs) away at you and then and then your 20s is kind of spent trying to build some of that back up (laughs) it's exhausting Let's pause there and talk about the second desert island dish, and that is the first dish you learnt to cook.
1: I'm sure I've made a lot of dishes, but the one that really I think about is this moment at uni. <laughs> it's just quite kind of late on life, in life, <laughs> and um, my grandma, my Welsh grandma, used to make kind of this chicken stew, and I'd never made. You know, I'd made spaghetti bolognese and, like, tuna pasta. You know, those really typical uni meals, but I never made, like, a home-cooked chicken stew. And I remember asking my grandma for the recipe, and it was so simple back then, but this was my first time kind of trying to cook. It was just chicken, peppers, tomatoes, onion, coriander, vegetable stock, salt and pepper. Insanely simple, and I remember feeling so accomplished that I'd made this dish at uni that my grandma used to always just make for the family, and it, it was a really like, "Ha ha, Rach, you did it! Well done!" It's such a good feeling, and it was,
0: that's amazing that you can actually remember that so clearly. I think simple simple sometimes is the best, isn't it? It is. So you describe yourself in your own words as in quotation marks, a mix and blend. Your father is from St. Lucia and your mum is mixed race. Her mother was from Wales and her dad was from Sierra Leone. And you say that that meant that your grandparents' houses were really different places and going to stay there as a child was really exciting because of how different it was. Can you tell us a bit more about that?
1: Yeah, it was actually I remember doing my first interview for work when I was 16 when I got my first job at (laughs) Topshop and they like asked like what's something really unique about yourself and I was like oh my god these questions are so awkward and I said my family because it really is it was so different to go to my grandma's house my St. Lucian grandma who it was just such a different experience to be in that household of all my cousins and then go to my grandma's house who's welsh and she's with her husband who's from india and it's my family but they're just so different the cultures the food the way the kitchen smells the conversations the traditions the everyday lives they're my family and it's they're both close to my heart but they're also just so different and In the middle of that is Rachel, me and my brother, who grow up with both of those influences. But then in London, which is its own culture and identity. (laughs) So it was always, as a kid, you don't really acknowledge it because it's that's normal to me. It's only when you get older and you realise, oh, this is very different and... I've picked up things from both sides and I've got my own identity in between the traditions that are shown to me. I've got jerk chicken and, and curry go and I've got rice and peas. And then on the other side, you've got taramasalata. I've got taramasalata <laughs> and I've got Welsh cakes. And I'm really yeah.
0: just... <laughs> How amazing to have two such different experiences and it's it's that amazing heritage that has obviously really inspired your cooking
1: it's massively inspired and I had no idea in it that I would be here today with it's like you unconsciously just take in all all your family's lives and then as you get older you realize it it starts kind of pouring out in your character and who you become
0: yeah And one of the parts of your story that I really love is that you came to cooking quite late in life. Obviously, not really late in the grand scheme of things, because you're still very young. (laughs) You've got your whole life ahead of you. But I did mean you sort of you didn't grow up cooking or or grow up that interested in it. But but your mother has always worked in sort of the field of food because I think she worked in nutrition, didn't she?
1: She actually owns her own shop. So she's been an independent shopper in my whole life. But she'd always been very curious in what you eat and how it affects you. And I think she was just naturally curious. I had health issues that were unresolved and the doctors were unable to figure out what was actually wrong. So I was kind of left in this kind of loophole. I'm in pain, I'm in discomfort, my body's not happy, but I had no idea why, so I don't know how to fix it. And I was a teenager and it was kind of like my body was shutting down in different ways. And my mum just kind of looked at me after we'd gone and seen doctors and seen professionals and she said, you know what, Rachel, I just think you're lactose intolerant. And I was like, well, I love cheese and hot (laughs) chocolates. But I was in so much discomfort that I said, you know what, Process of elimination. If this helps, then I've figured it out. If it doesn't help, then I need to keep investigating. Cow dairy, and it changed my life. And that was the first experience of really seeing and feeling how what we eat affects our bodies, how how we thrive, and that was massive for me because it completely changed my health. And from then, I, because my mum was just naturally so interested in nutrition. I just picked things up from her as I got older and it made going vegan a lot easier because I already was quite mindful about what makes my body happy. And, you know, there was that kind of like, oh, if you're not eating fish anymore, how are you going to get your omegas? And I'm like, well, I was already eating chia seeds before chia seeds were chia seeds. (laughs) 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 I
0: think that, isn't that amazing that it was your mum that suggested that after you'd seen all of these doctors, I think there's still... A reluctance by quite a lot of medical professionals to sort of really hunker down and, and look at the connection between what we eat and and what's going on in our bodies.
1: I actually find it quite. It was maybe ten years ago now, but it, I even find it mind blowing that I went to a, a specialist a bowel specialist, and not once in the conversation did he ask what I ate.
0: Oh my goodness. That is kind of mind blowing, isn't it?
1: Mind blowing. A bowel special, like this is 10 years ago. And obviously I'm sure there are ones that would ask to eat. But at the time that was my experience and that's what actually changed my life.
0: Yeah, that's unbelievable. Okay, let's pause there because it's time to talk about the best dish you've ever eaten.
1: Oh my God. (laughs) This is unfair because now I'm going to be hungry. I know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's an occupational hazard of mine, Rachel. You've, you have no idea.
1: So, I have this Caribbean feast that I like to make, and it is my ultimate happy place. It is, and I, I can't really buy that here in the UK. So, so tell us
0: what, yeah, what is it?
1: <laughs> I will have fried plantain, I will have jerk spiced lentils, Caribbean chana, which is like a chickpea curry. Kalaloo in paprika, tomatoes, onions, a bit of soy sauce, rotis, like buttery, vegan buttery rotis that just pull apart. And coleslaw and rum punch. Oh my goodness. Um, I love, like, my heart sings when I have a bunch of different flavours and textures all on one plate that you can dip the roti in it, pick up the curry, get a bit of sweet. Fried plantain, have like cooling coleslaw, bit of rum punch just to kind of have that on the, like that is Rachel's happy, happy, happy place where my taste buds are extremely just happy. I'm. I'm not
0: surprised, Rachel. You had me at rum punch. That sounds. (laughs) That sounds so delicious. So you say that you really fell in love with food after you went travelling around America when you finished Mm -hmm. university. Tell us a little bit about that trip, sort of where you went and and what you ate, because I think at that point you weren't vegan yet.
1: No, I wasn't vegan yet. I had cut out dairy, which made it a little difficult. So I went across South America. And I started in Argentina and that was actually where I had beef the first time in my life. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, I'm here. I think this is, if I'm going to try it, it should be in Argentina. Yeah. Well, wow. What a
0: what a place to have beef for the first time. <laughs> was Was there a reason that you hadn't had it growing
1: up? There was mad cow disease at one point. So there was this reluctance to have beef. And then from then... I just never took an interest in having it. So,
0: and what did you think when you were in Argentina?
1: I didn't love it, but I think that's because I wasn't used to it. But I was like, "Oh, cool!" <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> so it was just it was just a trip of experiencing different things that you hadn't necessarily grown up with. It must have been exactly. yeah, it, it
1: was so phenomenal to to be able to go to Argentina, Brazil. Peru, Chile, Bolivia, Colombia. Colombia, I feel like, is my heart in a way I had no idea. I remember I made alos con coco, which was the first time I saw coconut rice made that way, where they caramelize the coconut so it's nice and brown. And then they kind of toast it and then they add the rice and they cook it in it so it's kind of sweet. And it was just... I remember I went back to my hostel and I tried to make it over and over and over again because I was so deter. I was like, how do they make it like this? This is incredible. I want to make this. And that was when I realized I was really interested in food because I was having all these different types of foods that I'd never had. And I was so interested in how do I make them? And it wasn't a case of, having cookbooks or looking online for things it was a case of trying food and just wanting to replicate them in random hostels (laughs) in different parts of the world and then we went from columbia and stopped off in miami where we then road trip the states not all of the states obviously that would that would take you still be there yeah (laughs) still be there (laughs) And uh, we went from Miami, we went through Texas, I was in Louisiana, New Orleans, which was an incredible place to visit because it's just full of so much history. And I feel like because of being in London, I'm used to seeing historical landmarks, I'm used to seeing kind of European architecture. And I was in New Orleans and I was like, oh my God, the place is beautiful and it's it's been through so much and the community is so bubbly and lively and creative the music in the streets and I love music I was like I've just arrived in a hostel and we've walked down the road and there's a whole band playing music and it's incredible and there's just food on the streets and I remember I walked down the road in New Orleans and I'm I'm from London, so I just walked in my own headspace and this guy kind of pulled his hat, like, to top off his hat and smiled at me. And I didn't really react because it threw me off. And he was like, you can smile back. And I was like, I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, that
0: says such bad things about Londoners, doesn't it? it That when someone's (laughs) friendly, you're just completely taken by surprise. What is happening here? (laughs)
1: Literally. And, like, the fact that I still remember it to this day, (laughs) I was, like, shocked at, like, how... We just kind of zoom past everyone and don't take things in. And this kind of kind gentleman was saying hi. And, um, we just, yeah, we went to New Mexico. We went to California, went to Las Vegas. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like the trip of a lifetime. It was amazing. And I think a large part of cooking
0: and learning to love to cook is actually learning to love to eat, isn't it? It's sort of, it is. it's such a journey and you can't be a good cook if you aren't a good eater. They
1: exactly. sort of they go
0: hand in hand. And I just, I really like that this love of food or interest in cooking, it can develop at any time. You know, of course it can with any interest, but I just think it's brilliant that you discovered it and then it so quickly became your career. I think that's something that's going to inspire a lot of people. Can we talk about that. the story of how you became vegan? I believe yes. I actually started on a date. Can you tell us a bit <laughs> about what happened?
1: <laughs> Sometimes I, I regret how honest I've been in the past because it just, <laughs> just reminds me. <laughs> yeah, I was on a date and I think I was like, oh, have you, one of us is like, oh, have you watched anything interesting on Netflix? We're both like, we love documentaries. And he was like, oh, I've watched this documentary called What the Health. It's really interesting. It's about veganism. And I was like, oh, okay. And bearing in mind, I didn't really know anything about veganism or vegetarianism or pescatarianism or any foodism other than cutting out dairy. I just watched it and it sent me down a rabbit hole of watching a um, documentaries on the subject and then I went vegan pretty much the next day and I remember my I went to my friend's house her mum's house and she made a roast dinner and it was after I'd watched them I was like okay what well. did she make she made roast lamb oh no Rachel <laughs> the worst thing she could have made <laughs> <laughs> and I remember just sitting there going all right well she's made me roast dinner this is the last one and that was my last non vegan dinner experience
0: wow that 's incredible so it, it did all happen really quite quickly
1: it did it was a case of me feeling like this kind of i i really didn 't know much about the food industry and how food ended up on my plate you know i 'm in london i 'm in the city, and I see happy cows, happy chickens on packages. I hadn't visited farms. I I just had no knowledge of how things can go. And when I'd seen what I'd seen and just the production of it all, I just said I didn't want to be a part of it. It didn't feel like right to me. And I just made a decision that I'd rather move away from it and try eating vegan food in a plant-based way. And then that was it.
0: That's amazing. Hopefully we are moving away from it now, but I feel like there's a real sense that in turning vegan, you would just sort of eat salads. But there is such a connection between food and culture. And it's such a big part of our identity that just because you stop eating meat doesn't mean that you have to strip away that identity and and sort of all of those flavours and all of those traditions. Do you still come up against people who sort of question what exactly it is you do eat if you're not eating meat?
1: Yeah, I still get the question that they don't compare to in the beginning. When I first went vegan, it was like, especially I ate chicken every day, pretty much. And I ate fried chicken a lot. (laughs) (laughs) To my friends, it was kind of like, what? (laughs) What are you doing, Rachel? Because I didn't have vegan friends. I didn't have vegetarian. But I was really just never around that type of lifestyle. And it was such like a a shock factor that the jokes were like, well, you're gonna eat celery or like that was all I would get. And I guess I almost wanted to I went vegan because I'd seen what was going on with animals. I'd seen how it can benefit your health. I'd seen how it can benefit the environment. And I really just wanted more like my friends and my family, people I knew to not look down on that way of eating and actually see positives in it because it can be really beneficial so that was like the original reason why I went on YouTube because I just wanted more people to find enjoyment find flavors find a funness in vegan cooking and eating because for me I was loving it yeah (laughs) I I wanted other people to love it oh that's such a good reason to
0: to start something isn't it just a passion and and wanting other people to be involved and I, I think you're right that sort of there are these numerous reasons that, that people go vegan. Largely, I think it is the welfare of the animals, but it's also more increasingly the environment. And then obviously the, the health benefits that come from it. But I think because of that, there is this assumption that vegan food is just healthy. Um, I know you don't eat sort of processed food really, but there is a lot of vegan food that is heavily processed and, and not necessarily. Sort of, you know, strictly healthy. But do you think that is a, a, a misconception that people just automatically think it's a very healthy lifestyle?
1: Yeah, I think because ten years ago, if you went to a supermarket, you're not really finding much other than vegetables. It was in this country super bland to be vegan ten years. Yeah, ago. <laughs> a serious lack, unless you were a family that was vegan and, and you had your own flavours, your own recipes. But if you looked online, if you looked in the media, you couldn't find flavorful vegan food. It had that rep for a reason in this country. And I think today, because veganism bloomed, even though everyone was like, it's just a trend, still go in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Loads of companies have created meat alternatives and that's where you do get the more processed foods and I think there's a balance. I think at the minute it's more like a shock factor. Oh my god, you can get a burger that tastes like meat but it's vegan. But actually I think the part of veganism that I love is the vegetables. It's it's the feel-good food that you just season it up, you just add spice, you make it flavorsome, and you've got a really kind of nourishing, delicious bowl of food. Any diet can be unhealthy. It's just how you decide to cook. If you are not vegan, you can have a really unhealthy diet. If you're vegan, you can also have a really unhealthy diet. It's just about finding a balance and finding a love in whole-based plant food. Yeah, It's like a tongue twister.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You did it very well. Thank you. (laughs) Let's pause there and talk about the fourth Desert Island dish, possibly my favourite question. What is your favourite sandwich?
1: Okay, so this one I only just remembered. This was in San Francisco, and I, I really don't remember everything that was was in it. And I would actually love to recreate it now, not vegan, because I could easily swap out the, I think it was chicken, easily swap that out for another something. It was, um, so like a soft baguette layered with lettuce, avocado, I would say caramelised red onions, chicken, but we're going to swap that for a vegan alternative. <laughs> <laughs> tomatoes definitely had mayonnaise definitely had like a sweet relish definitely had a little bit of a cayenne pepper sauce and it was in this massive baguette that oh, was soft so good and it oh <laughs> it was all the the sauces and flavors and i think i'd never had like deli style way i did in america you can't you can't get that in the uk
0: (laughs) it's true it's so different right well i think this needs to be one of the next recipes that you create it does doesn't it yeah yes (laughs) there seems to be a real disconnect between people who actually live a plant-based or vegan lifestyle and the people that we see represented online living that life for instance, the Rastafarian lifestyle is predominantly plant-based and yet you wouldn't really know that from the number of black chefs that we see online writing cookbooks or in the mainstream media. Do you think people do still think incorrectly that veganism is sort of this predominantly white cuisine made by white people usually with quite a wealthy background?
1: Um, yeah. I think more so in the west. That's the con- that's the idea because that's 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 what you see. You don't see black chefs on the TV. You don't see Rastafarians on the TV, in the media. uh, That's why I really enjoyed kind of breaking through on YouTube because I love food stories. I love the fact that it's normal in my heritage, in the countries that my families are from, in Africa, in the Caribbean, to be living off the land in more of a vegetable, more of a plant-based way. And that actually meat was a celebratory on a Sunday. I'm going to have all my friends and family over and I'm going to cook a roast chicken, but it's not every night we're having meat. It was more of this kind of celebratory event. And it's only in the mass consumption of meat and the rest and how easy and accessible and affordable it began that we were just eating it like crazy, so I think, I'm, I'm hoping that this kind of narrative changes and there's more appreciation, there's more learning and understanding and respect to the cultures and societies that already live in a plant-based way and how they do thrive and they have flavour. And it's normal and it's not this misconception of bland, super expensive, unflavored yeah. <laughs> lifestyle, actually. There's a lot of heritage and there's a lot of history and... These are food stories that I personally would love to share and tell and explore. It's my mission to go to Sierra Leone and relearn my own roots through food, because I think food stories can teach you a lot about your heritage and your family and and how things work. And that's really special to my heart. Rachel,
0: you need to make that happen. We all need to do <laughs> yeah. that. I think you're right. Obviously, you'd be learning a lot about your heritage, but there's so much for others to learn about other people's heritage. And I think you're right. That, and and eating meat, as you say, it, it is a luxury that really, I guess, thinking about it, it's sort of only become commonplace over the last 50, 60 years. Yeah. So what's happening now is a return to the way people used to eat with very little meat or or no no meat at all.
1: It is. And it's more sustainable. And I think seasonal eating and seasonal cooking is something that we learn more about and how it just benefits the body and our circadian rhythm. And it is it is going back to basics in a way. Yeah,
0: completely. Which, as we all know, basics are best. <laughs> 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 Making any sort of lifestyle change, whether it's in your career or for your health, it's all the more difficult if you, you can't see people that you can relate to. I think being vegan isn't all about buying very expensive mature dates. But how much of this lack of representation spurred you on to start your YouTube channel and I guess sort of be the change that you wanted to see? What Was it a big factor?
1: One of the key things when I went vegan, obviously one of the natural things I did was to go online and kind of research food to make. And at the time of doing it, I did not find much at all. (laughs) I didn't find food that I related to or that would interest me. I didn't see any black chefs doing vegan stuff online, especially in this country. I think I found one in America and that was it. One, Mm. And, you know, I'm sure they exist, but they just weren't. I couldn't find that. And if I couldn't find it, then other people like myself who were looking wouldn't be able to find it too. And that would continue the cycle of it being this kind of food lifestyle that is unattainable or it's not normal when actually I am Caribbean I have African I'm London I'm British I'm Welsh and I'm celebrating all the flavors that I know in plant-based ways and I want I really just wanted more people especially people that I went to school with you know in in my head in the beginning when I first started it was me thinking about my kind of social circles and the people around me, I I didn't, I didn't, I I didn't know my YouTube was going to do what it did.
0: Well, I know, because I wanted to ask you, because I think within a few months of starting, you were sort of getting 300,000 views on videos, which, and then eventually that led to a, a book deal. But I mean, we always talk about how overnight successes don't really exist, but this does actually feel a bit like an overnight success.
1: I remember when I went on YouTube I just said, be yourself and share stuff you love. I'm just worked really hard at it. I said every Sunday and I was still had a full time job, but I said, every Sunday, I'm going to upload and I'm just going to keep, keep, keep going. And it was this kind of gradual from having like 20 views to maybe a hundred views. And then it was like a thousand views and then keep going, keep going. And then I think about eight months in, I had one video just get to like 300,000 out of nowhere. And I was like, oh my goodness, 300,000 people have seen me dance and act like a clown (laughs) on (laughs) YouTube. There's no turning back now. (laughs) There's no turning back now. And then I think one of the things that really hit me is just how many people would message me or come up to me and be like, I told my mom about you because she's Caribbean and she doesn't like, she didn't understand veganism and now she's making her recipes or like, oh, just, it was like this natural thing, passion that I really just wanted to share. And it was resonating with people. And even I always say America found me first. And this is kind of the joy of the internet. You know, you share it and people who want that information anywhere around the world can find you. And I think in America, especially there was like, Oh my God. She's a British girl doing Caribbean food. I love Caribbean food. She's making vegan food. Oh, she put flavour in her food. Oh. (laughs) just Rachel, I think that's what they call a triple threat, isn't it?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Let's pause there and talk about the fifth desert island dish. And that is the dish you eat the most often.
1: The one that I make on repeat right now is my sticky miso oyster mushrooms. They are insanely simple and quick and flavorsome. I stir fried the mushrooms so that they get slightly charred and caramelized. And then I put them in a Chinese five spice and then I make a really nice sticky miso dressing and I kind of toss them in that. And you've got these lightly charred mushrooms and I serve them with brown rice and stir fried veggies. I put them with soba noodles. They're like really simple, so tasty, so quick to make. And always flavorful. They sound delicious. <laughs> Let's talk
0: about your gorgeous new book. It's called One Pot, Three Ways, which is such a brilliant concept for a book. Um, anything that makes people's life easier and also limits the amount of washing up they have to do is a definite winner in my eyes. Tell us a little bit about how the concept for this book came about.
1: So when I was going around with my first book, people would ask me how I maintain veganism in everyday eating and how I keep it up. And i'd always explain that i would make like a big pot of food on a sunday and just roll it out the next couple days that way you kind of have your meals kind of sorted and so after explaining that over and over again i realized oh this could be a book this could help people in their everyday cooking so with the book i just wanted to help make plant-based eating vegan eating more achievable by kind of just breaking it down kind of like batch cooking just much more tastier, in my opinion. So you can make a big pot of food in a pot. You can just make a meal for yourself but for that day, or you can make enough that you've got meals covered for the next few days. So take that one big pot. On a Tuesday, you might have it with rice. On a Wednesday, you might turn it into this really quick and simple, delicious stir fry, or you can make it into patties, depending on what recipe I, yeah. <laughs> you've picked. Um but I just wanted that one pot of delicious food sorted. Kind of like before I went vegan, it would be my chicken. If I made a roast chicken on a Sunday, i will maybe have a roast on a Sunday. And I'll make some chicken sandwiches out of it on a Monday. Then I'll do something. It's, it's, I think that is a normal way I cooked with meat and other people I knew cooked with meat. It's kind of like replacing that meat centerpiece with a vegan one so that you have meals For the week. And I think everyone's super busy. I'm I'm super busy now. So it makes it a lot easier to just have that feeling when you come home from work or after a long day going, right, I've got a big pot of food in the fridge ready. All I need to do is maybe roast some potatoes to go with it with a bit of flavor or just cook some rice to go with it. Or I've already got it sorted.
0: Definitely. I, with everything that everyone has going on, it can be overwhelming having to constantly think about what you're going to eat for the next meal. So it's, it's a really clever concept where, as you say, it's sort of an elevated form of batch cooking and definitely the way that I think lots of people like to eat. So it's really clever. One of the things that you talk about in the book is this idea of the flavor station that you use when you're cooking, which is such a great way of thinking about cooking. Will you explain what exactly you mean by that to the people listening?
1: I found when I went vegan, obviously you kind of genuinely know most of your vegetables that you can get here, but it's all about how you cook them and how you choose to season them. That really elevates you to a different type of meal and Having a flavor station, in my opinion, it's you have all your spices, you have all your fla- your sauces, your spices, your your rubs. They're sorted. Whether you've got already mixed ones like a jerk spices or harissa spices, or you have just the cumin, the turmeric. You maybe you already know how you like to make your own spice blends, or you have them there. You have your sauces like your vinegars, which can help you elevate your food. You've got hot pepper sauces, your tomatoes, your coconut. I just kind of explain because I do have that in my house. That's how you transform your tray of vegetables or your pot of vegetables to a whole delicious, beautiful meal. So, yeah, I just want to encourage people to get in the flavours, get in the station.
0: <laughs> and it can be so simple. I think so often if you're not very confident at cooking or perhaps you don't like cooking, sometimes I think that's because, yeah, people are scared of, of using flavour and, and they never know why restaurant food tastes so much better. And, and it, it's that, isn't it? It's sort of, it's the things that elevate it from the basic, you know, unseasoned, unflavored tray of vegetables. It's what you add to it that can really make it magic.
1: Absolutely. And it's a very simple fix on how to make your normal, I don't know, let's say your roasted vegetables with maybe garlic, lemon, salt, and pepper, and maybe some thyme and rosemary. Or you could use those same roast vegetables and have like a spicy harissa paste. And maybe you add a little bit of maple syrup to make it a bit sticky and then add some tahini at the end. And you've got a completely different meal just by using different flavors. So I think you can, especially if you're a new cook, you can just kind of pick out your favorite flavors. You might have a specific mix that you love and you start there and then you just start kind of broadening. You can think of different cuisines. You can think of different cultures. Maybe you had something in Spain one day and that's pushed you to that kind of flavors or you've had something in France one day and that can push you in a different area, I think that's how I like to cook and I'm trying to share in the book.
0: <laughs> right the sixth desert island dish is your go-to dinner party dish which I appreciate the last 18 months or so people haven't been throwing dinner parties or having people around in the same way but when we are back to doing that as normal what is your sort of go-to dish?
1: I would say one in my book um, it's the black beans that I make because they are really delicious and really fun and I show you how to make them in three ways, but you can actually use the three ways as just a dinner party meal. So you can make wraps with them. Got tortillas, guac, salsa, kind of guac and salsa is just so good. Oh, so, so simple and so delicious. <laughs> and it's just like a, a feast of flavors that you can just get stuck into. And I like dinner parties where people can just grab and take and conversate and it's like when you imagine those kind of family exciting fun get-togethers that's how i like to share food where you just pick and take and make a big bowl of lots of food definitely that's the best the best way and and do
0: you normally serve a pudding I don't actually, but I love cake. So okay.
1: <laughs> Who am I?
0: <laughs> um, we have a cookbook corner on Desert Island Dishes. So I'd love to know what is your most treasured cookbook?
1: I think because I only got into food and went to vegan so quickly, I never got into reading cookbooks because there were always meat and fish and that wouldn't make sense to me. How interesting and is that? Massive. And now you now you write so, cookbooks. So I know. <laughs> I feel like it's so <laughs> bad though. But I I'm like a I watch all the cooking shows.
0: Okay. That's <laughs> your thing.
1: That's my thing. <laughs> I love the visuals and the sounds of a great cooking show. I've thought of a book if I picked a favorite book, it'd be the groundnut cookbook.
0: Ooh, I don't think I've heard of that. Tell us about it.
1: It's really incredible. It's African food and the way they've laid it out is as if you were serving food, so I don't know how you describe the chapters, but it's they show you how to kind of make a feast for each meal and there's there's a lot of heart and it's really like a family cookbook that I personally really love it's not vegan but That's my book of choice. Okay, that sounds lovely. I need to check it out. You should.
0: (laughs) Rachel, we're on to the final seventh Desert Island dish, and that is the last dish you would choose to eat before being cast off to the Desert Island.
1: Wow, that's tragic. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, this is just going to sound absolutely bonkers. (laughs) Okay, I'm I'm ready. I couldn't leave without having some hummus. So we're going to have like a beetroot spice hummus with some toasted pit of bread and olive oil and some fresh herbs. And that's just like a little light, are you ready to get ready starter. A taste
0: bud tingler.
1: There we go. (laughs) Then for the first part of my mains, as a nod to my fried chicken days, my Cajun beer battered oyster mushrooms in a burger. Wow. With like a tartar. This is like a a miniature version, right? Uh, Yeah. You can have whatever you want. Thank you, <laughs> tartar brioche toasted bun, and then my my second main because that's done. You no know, little mini taster. My second main are these jerk tacos I made, which are insanely delicious. They're with fried plantain, a spicy jerk sauce, a spicy sticky jerk sauce, grilled oyster mushrooms, and lettuce and onions. They're like my middle. I should have ginger beer with that. Okay, now we're on to the desserts because I love cake. Okay. <laughs> so now that we've done that, no, you know, the, what should they call them again? The chocolate puddings with melted chocolate in the middle. Oh, yeah. A fondant. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Absolutely a fondant. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then just a miniature one because then, then after the fondant, I'm going to have a, some rum cake caribbean rum cake oh yum and then i'm gonna finish up there
0: okay <laughs> and with that <laughs> we'll roll you off to the desert island for yeah.
1: <laughs> a full stomach
0: yeah the, be- <laughs> the best way to be rachel thank you so much for letting us hear your desert island dishes
1: thank you so much for having me it's been really really fun
0: so there we have it another delicious day of desert island dishes Don't forget that if you enjoyed today's episode, you can rate and review the podcast on iTunes and even subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And it really does make such a difference. It boosts the show in the charts, helps others to find it, which is obviously great and also means that I can keep bringing it to you each week. If you don't already, come and follow me on Instagram at Desert Island Dishes and you can sign up for the newsletter and find a whole host of different recipes at desertislanddishes.com. I will see you next week. Thank you again to our sponsor, Cook's Matches. Thank you so much for listening.
1: Bye.